Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. About halfway through the hour, we are going to have filmmaker, documentary filmmaker, Stanley Nelson with us. He is in town to screen his Jonestown documentary at the DIA tomorrow. We're going to talk about that documentary. We're going to talk about Jonestown and the phenomenon of cultism. And then we're also going to talk about Stanley Nelson, uh, one of the more exciting and interesting figures in the filmmaking world. We'll talk to him about race in America, what draws him to his subjects, uh, and a number of other things. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation for sure. But up front today, last week, the NCAA came under fire as an FBI investigation revealed that several players throughout the country were paid by an NBA agent as a recruitment tool for their colleges. The allegations range from a $70 payment for dinner for a player at Michigan State to $100,000 being sent to a player in Arizona. This again raises the specter of how or whether to compensate college athletes or if a paid in full education is enough payment in itself. A lot of people have since called the NCAA corrupt. If that's true, it joins an elite class of corruptible institutions that lead our favorite sports organizations throughout the world. Are we kidding ourselves to think that sports institutions are not simply small governments left relatively unregulated, operating with very little recourse to great financial gain for the executives at the top? Are these exploitative institutions in the way they deal with the people who actually play the sports. That's where we want to start the conversation today. And as always, if you want to join, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. You can uh, dial 313-577-1019 and join that conversation. Or you can go to WDET and the Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us uh, to help frame out this issue is John U. Bacon. He is a sports writer and author uh, of n- a number of books about college football and other sports subjects. John Bacon, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. So let's start with this uh, this story uh, that broke last week about the NCAA. Uh, this has been sort of brewing for a bit. Uh, everyone, I think, was aware that uh, this investigation was going on. The details, though, I think uh, blew some people's minds in terms of the dollar figures involved and also the number of different athletes at a number of different schools. Uh, sort of put this in, in context for us in terms of the scale of NCAA scandal. Sure. What the FBI has basically done in a nutshell here, Stephen, is do the NCAA's job for it because it seems to have abdicated the responsibility of actual oversight of its member institutions. Now, we can have another debate, as you alluded to, of course, on paying players or not, but under the current system, at least, we do know that the NCAA is claiming these guys are amateurs, Mm -hmm. the athletes, of course, and they're also claiming that they're in charge and they can enforce these rules and they're keeping the sport clean. What the FBI investigation uh, blew the cover off is that this is a complete fraud, that they have no interest in catching any of these guys, that it's rampant. Um, And my take on that is that the NCAA, for uh, the first about 75 years of its existence, from 1905 to 1979, was basically the sheriff of college athletics, which runs more or less the way the Michigan High School Athletic Association runs. Mm -hmm. Members pay dues, you pay for rest, pay for state tournaments, and that's how it works. And the Michigan High School Athletic Association, I think, works quite well. 
Uh, NCA does not work nearly as well <laughs> because uh, in 79, Bird plays Magic in the most watched basketball game ever at yes. the time, and I think maybe still. Um, and at that point, you realize there's gold in them that are hills, and instead of just being the sheriff, you also become the saloon keeper for this billion-dollar enterprise that is March Madness alone. Is a billion-dollar enterprise for the TV ad revenue for those three weekends alone. That's wow. how much money is sloshing through these sluices. Uh, so here's my question, Stephen. Once you are the sheriff but also the saloon keeper, how <laughs> eager are you to find underage drinking at your local establishment? My guess is you're not that eager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that's a great that's a great analogy, and the idea that uh, you know the NCAA is essentially trying to police itself. Uh, against behavior that benefits uh, the organization in some ways. I mean, it, it, it makes it very difficult. Um, yeah, it's okay. Uh, talk about um, talk about what the likely outcome, though, is of this. This is not, you know, uh, this is not just about the NCAA looking into this. Now, this is the FBI, uh, and uh, presumably there could be indictments, there could be trials, there could be convictions. What would that do to college sports as we know it today? Very good question, and I would say largely unknown at this stage. And when it says for sure they know what's going to happen, is probably lying to you. <laughs> so I won't give you that, but <clears throat> I would say a few things. One, in the NCAA's defense, and I don't do that very often, um, <clears throat> the FBI's got subpoena power, and if you lie to the FBI, you go to, the jail, go to jail. Right. None of that is true of the NCAA, obviously. <clears throat> Excuse me, Stephen. Uh, that said, none of that is true of any reporter out there either. And the reporters I know have no problem finding this stuff out. And we don't have subpoena power, and we don't have, obviously, we can't jail you if you lie to us, which happens daily. Uh Um, So the NCA is still pretty weak on all this. The question is, will the FBI investigation and the results finally shame the NCAA into doing something to actually police the sport and or as just one more crack in the foundation that leads us to another model, which might be the case. Yeah, yeah. In the short run, the NCAA is really good at ignoring this stuff. Um, it's, it's, it'll you know, say, shock, shock to find gambling at Casablanca. <laughs> and the great line from Jerry Tarkanian, the late great coach at UNLV, he said, the, uh, various versions of this, the NCAA is so mad at us at UNLV that Cleveland State is really going to get it. (laughs) (laughs) Right. That's right. And that's what the NCAA is famous for, that right now you've got the only really shocking thing about this last go-around, the money is not surprising to me. Uh, What is surprising is that more than half the Sweet 16, basically, is implicated, including white hat programs like Duke and Mm -hmm. Michigan Mm -hmm. State. Uh, Now, of course, in this infinite blindness, the NCAA cannot seem to distinguish between an $800 gift or a dinner out uh, versus $100,000, which are not the same things. Right. Um, they don't know the difference between a felony and a misdemeanor if they hit him in the head. Um, so that's one problem you're dealing with, and Michigan State seems to be on the misdemeanor side in my book uh, so far. Um, but the breadth of it might be an issue that they have to address, and what you might finally get is more discussion on uh, is, this, is this model working or not? And it seems not to be to me. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is John U. Bacon, a sports writer and author of numerous books about college football and other subjects. Uh, we are talking about the scandal that is engulfing the NCAA after reports about an FBI investigation showed that there is a rampant payoff system. 
uh, at play in college sports, uh, people taking dinners, people taking money, people being offered all kinds of things to play for various colleges. We're talking about what that means to the idea of college sports, of amateur sports, and also how it fits into the context of corruptibility of sports organizations. NCAA is not the only institution that faces questions about corruption. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. Give us an idea of what you think of this scandal uh, that is brewing at the NCAA. Give us an idea of what you think about college sports in general. Uh, are we watching a sort of charade, the idea that these are amateur players, that these are students playing sports, uh, and that that's somehow different from professional sports where people are paid. And if you had to come up with a solution, if you had to come up with a fix to college sports, what would you think it would be? Would you pay the players? Would you come up with some other way to make things fairer in terms of the money that's being made? Uh, would you come up with the idea of you know farm systems, minor league teams for uh, things like the NBA. Is that the way forward? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones to join the conversation. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, again, let us know what you think of the NCAA and corruption. Tracy on Twitter says, so how much do universities make off of these kids each year? compared to the compensation they get, compensation in quotes there, are all needs covered or just food and lodging? John, that's a great question to lead us into this bigger discussion about the NCAA and compensation. Lots of people now talking about the possibility of, of changing that. Uh, is that something that the NCAA is taking seriously? And are we likely to see uh, you know, a significant shift in the way that this works? I think that this foundation has been cracking bit by bit, year by year, Stephen. So I just cannot imagine a scenario where 15 years from now we're talking about the same stuff. I think it's going to break one way or the other sooner or later. And my prediction always has been 2020. I wrote that in 2010 when I first posited my solution, which you've already mentioned, which is the uh, minor league system. But mm -hmm. to answer the uh, listener's question, um, what they get is uh, tuition. Uh, and it should be noted, by the way, U of M, for example, University of Michigan, does not get uh, 900 free passes for its athletes. It pays retail, in-state or out-of-state, no breaks, no need-based breaks or anything else. So uh, every year, Michigan pays around, uh, I think, $24, 25000000 million in tuition for its 900 athletes, most of whom get partial or no, to or, or no scholarship. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, so right there, it's a significant outlay, obviously. And if you're a fifth-year player out of state, you just made a quarter million dollars in tuition. So that's not chump change, I would say. And if you're playing minor league basketball or football, you might not be getting that much. You also get room and board, uh, which I must also say is not insignificant. Um, the board aspect, by the way, Michigan football alone spends a million dollars a year to feed its football players. And if you've been to that training table, Stephen, <laughs> trust sure. me, uh, <laughs> you're in line and they have a bin of steaks. Yeah. And the lady asks you, how many do you want? <laughs> and being a five foot eight reporter who's trying to lose weight, I say, one, thank you. <laughs> and by saying so, I'm the biggest wimp in the line. So I added it up back in 2011 for the book Three and Out. And a fifth year out-of-state player at Michigan, with um, the most obvious cost, he was uh, getting about $600,000 in compensation from the university during those five years. Mm -hmm. uh, now, that does not include you know, the coaching you get, the training you get, and so on, which can make you a much more marketable NFL player. 
So if you're a no-name or lesser-name college player, you're probably getting a pretty good deal, actually. If you're Denard Robinson, if you are a hot-shot quarterback, uh, for, off whom the university is making a ton of money off from your jersey and things like that, you're probably getting a pretty bad deal. Yeah. Uh, they're making a lot more money on you. Uh, what's undeniably true, though, as far as what they make, that gets a bit complicated because the money the football program makes, which is most of Michigan Athletics' budget, for example, uh, almost all of that goes into other sports. They, I think, uh, right now fund 31 sports. So it's going into women's lacrosse, it's going into men's baseball, it's going into women's softball, and so on. Um, so the university, quote-unquote, makes it, but the only guys really making any money on this are the football coaches right. and the basketball coaches, who are millionaires, it must be said. And that's where the players start grumbling, and not without reason. Yeah. So, so uh, Desmond Howard, uh, who was uh, a classmate of mine at, at the University of Michigan and is, uh, was a professional football player, is now an analyst on, on television, said something that I thought was, was quite incisive about the current situation. Uh, and he's somebody who has, has said for a while, I believe, that, that this system just doesn't work. But he said it comes down to the fact that when he was a player uh, at, at Michigan, they had the same deal that they have now, right? Uh, tuition, yeah. uh, room and board, uh, and the training table and things like that. But the football coach, uh, Bo Schembechler, made you know a couple hundred thousand dollars, uh, I think, in, in Desmond's senior year. Uh, fast forward 30 years, and the, the players still have the same deal that they always had. But every every other part of college athletics involves a lot more money. I mean, you talk about the coaches, but think about the networks that that broadcast these games. Uh, think about uh, all of the all of the various parts of this where there is money, and it's it's ten, twelve, maybe twenty times what it was then. And so he said, keep, by the way, keep going. Yeah. So there's a fairness <laughs> there's a fairness question there, in, in the sense that. The world has changed for everybody else, but it's the same for the players. How, how, is that, how is that okay? How is that justifiable? And this is where we're getting to the breaking point. And uh, it's a point I've made a few times, and Desmond might have picked it up. I did some breakdown of this in another book, Fourth and Long, mm-hmm. where the salaries of football coaches from 1985, when Bo was in his heyday, uh, to when I was writing, which is 2012, I believe, so about 27 years or so, um, had gone up, I think, uh, 640% increase. Wow. Uh, yeah. Um, meanwhile, professors, and that's with, that's with inflation, by the way, um, taking that into account. Mm-hmm. Meantime, the professor's salaries have been stagnant on campus, and so have, of course, the compensation for um, athletes in terms of tuition and so on. You can make the argument that, okay, tuition's a lot more expensive now than it used to be, so I guess in that sense... They're getting something of a bump, but no more than, you know, the, the deal has not changed, as you point out. And that is a central issue, I think. When you sign up in 69 to play for Michigan, your head coach, Bo Schembechler, is making $21,000 a year. Right. Even back then, you could be, you know, you could make that kind of money. Eventually, you could make a lot more money selling insurance, doing almost anything, really. Right. So you take your Michigan degree, and you know you're going to make more money than your coaches. Uh, now your coach makes, you know, seven, nine million, whatever it is, and the odds of beating that are very slim unless you become the head coach at Michigan or an NFL team. <laughs> so in that sense, the, it's, just, it's CEO pay all over again, Steve. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it is skyrocketed for the guys at the top and almost nobody else. ESPN is making a ton of money. That's why we still have 40 bowl games that no one needs to see, but they make a ton of money off those bowl games. Sure. That's ESPN driving that. 
and the players, dirty little secret, don't want to play in all but the top six or seven bowls for the most part. Now, if you're EMU, you get to a bowl game only occasionally. It's a big deal. Uh, but Michigan players, Michigan State players, unless you're in the top six bowls, that bowl game is a chore so other people can get paid. Coaches yeah. get bonuses. ESPN gets their money. So in that sense, it's very difficult to argue these players are not being exploited in that sense. Yeah. Um, how to fix it? I'm with the minor league system. Yeah. That uh, college hockey and college well, hockey and, and baseball, baseball sure. have had this, had this thing for 100 years that football and basketball lack, and that is a viable minor league system. That if you don't want to be a student and you want to get paid, that's how you do it. I think any system you come up with to pay the players in college means instead of being a amateur athlete, you're now a very poorly paid pro athlete uh, because Title IX never loses. So if you're going to pay the quarterback a $3,000 stipend, let's say, the backup coxswain on the women's row team, she gets 3000 bucks also. That's how it's going to work. So $3,000 times 900 students, all of a sudden you got $27 million. Yeah. Michigan can probably afford it in some way. EMU I know cannot. Uh, U of D cannot. Um, Michigan State probably can, depends. Uh, so, again, trying to make this model, tweak it, so you sort of half pay the players, I don't see that working. Yeah, yeah. Uh, talk about the NCAA in the context of other sports organizations. I mean, we see scandals in golfing organizations like FIFA, for instance. Uh, yeah, uh, that's all we see. Yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, so so is there is this a college sports problem or is this just a problem with sports organizations? I think your introduction, by the way – forced me to reframe the whole conversation. I put out a tweet last week joking around that the, the uh, medalists for corruption in sports, FIFA, has got the gold. Uh, international <laughs> soccer is hard to beat for just, it is nothing but corruption. It's incredible right. what those guys are doing. Um, I would say IOC is a nice silver medalist to the uh, International Olympic Committee, which is also deeply corrupt. And yeah. I'd say NCAA, for my money, is, is uh, a strong bronze medalist. <laughs> um, yeah, I, can, I can name a few others that people named in my you know, threads as well. Uh, but it does, you raise a, a bigger question, which is we have these basically miniature global government, not even miniature, really. Uh, we have these global government entities, essentially, um, that are being essentially unregulated, uh, usually untaxed. All the NCAA stuff, of course, is nonprofit. Uh, the USOC is nonprofit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what's stopping you from? Is the money managers who take all the money, not the athletes, of course, and the fans get screwed as well? You raise a central question, and at some point, what's going to have to happen, I think, and no one wants to hear this, uh, is regulating these sports the way you would an industry. Yeah, and that's not happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Let's go to Toby. Toby in Detroit. Welcome to Detroit today. Uh, yes. Hello. Hi. Um, my comment was that a lot of uh, students, when they get injured, there's no kind of compensation or anything like that. So especially a lot of low-income students, if they get, like, a serious injury, mm-hmm. they can't continue playing the sport, and then they end up losing their scholarship and have to go back to uh, their low-income status and have no way out of it. Yeah. Uh, Toby, great point. I mean, the the, the entire dynamic surrounding this idea of poor kids from, uh, you know, from poor places going to these universities to play sports and the risk 
that's involved in some cases there. Uh, John, talk about talk about that. I understand that there are some ways that the NCAA tries to gird against that kind of that sort of naked exploitation, but it's still it is a risk. I mean, if you come if you come from a poor neighborhood in Detroit to play football at the University of Michigan, you're doing something that's pretty dangerous, and if you get hurt. Uh, your life is not going to pan out the way that uh, that it might if uh, you know if you played there and then went under the pros. How does the NCAA see that relationship? Uh, the NCAA, uh, as far as how they handle it, they do whatever the winds tell them to do. They are once you realize the NCAA is nothing more than a, a billionaire uh, billion dollar marketing outfit, the way Revlon is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And then, you know, or Coke, whatever, and then you say, okay, they go with public opinion. If public opinion says, you know, divest from this, they do. If they, you know, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make as much money as they can while appeasing the public when they need to. So if there's an outrage about something, they tend to address it eventually. Um, I would say in this case, it's a mixed bag on the injuries. I'm pleased to say that our alma mater, U of M, uh, does not pull scholarships for injuries. If you get injured in your sophomore year, you keep your scholarship through graduation. Um, so that's uh, on the positive side. Mm-hmm. The NCAA has finally in the last few years put in measures to say that everyone has to do it this way because Alabama certainly was not doing it that way. Right. Uh, they run you off. Uh, they also did this despicable practice of over-signing where you've got, say, 25 scholarships to give out in a given year, and you offer scholarships to 30 players and have them duke it out, basically, in August preseason conditioning. Uh, and then five of the guys, you say, okay, we're going to call you injured or you better transfer, which is a horrible, this is a top talent, and now he's screwed, right. basically. Right. So they're trying to, finally, trying to limit that. Um, what uh, Kane Coulter, the quarterback for Northwestern several years ago, very smart guy, which they tend to be at Northwestern with a 90-whatever-5% <laughs> graduation rate, um, he was trying to push to unionize the players, right. which fell short. But it did bring some... Uh, issues to light. One of them is a scholarship until graduation that is now becoming the rule in the Big Ten, uh, and also uh, compensation, not compensation, but keep your scholarship if you're injured. But one other thing they pushed for, which has not happened yet, which I think should, is any injury you suffer while competing for your university should be covered for the rest of your life. If you, you know, bang up your knee at 20 and you have arthritis at 50 in that knee and it's because of that injury, it seems to me that your university should be paying for that. That's how you got it, after mm-hmm. all. And workman's mm-hmm. comp was certainly covered in that, in that manner. Uh, and if the university is not willing to pay for that, then they shouldn't be sponsoring competitive football. Yeah. And it seems to me that is part of the moral thrust of these universities. The whole point of a university is to make society better, make individuals better, students, with better research and so on for society. And if you come to our university and we injure you and say, screw you, that exactly in the face of what a university is supposed to be about. Right. So that seems to me that should be the next step. So I'm with Toby on that one 100%. Okay, uh, let's go to Andy. Andy in Farmington Hills. Welcome. Hi, to Stephen. TV. Hey, Andy. How, Stephen? Yes, uh-huh. Go ahead. Hi. Um, my, my comment is, is that I, I've just been, for years, fundamentally opposed to the, the fact that the football coach makes more than the president of the university, way more. And then just like Jim Harbaugh took his team to Italy last year, mm-hmm. how much does that cost the university? I mean, you know, when, when children are taking out student loans to pay for this, and the, the, the football team goes to Italy 
For yeah. what? Yeah. You know? Okay. That's it. Uh, Andy, thanks for the call and the and the comments. The, the the question of coach salaries, I think, John, is is one that, that again drives the debate around the NCAA and this uh, this fairness question. It has gotten out of control, it seems like more in the last five or ten years than than in the previous twenty. I'm I'm not sure how that relates to to taking kids to Italy, which I think that was paid for by a donor. I'm, is is my memory, but uh, but uh, but again, this money that goes to the top of the sport, there seems to be no limit to that, and there's almost an arms race, uh, you know, dynamic at, at work there. Michigan paying Jim Harbaugh as much as as they do incentivizes Alabama perhaps to to one up that the next time and then you know the coach for Northwestern gets a a, a boost uh, you know at the at the other end um is that part of what the corruptible sort of uh, nature is of of the sport or is that just uh, is that just the way business works no no i think you've you're out of something there for sure and i think the colors as well you are correct that the Trip to Italy, I think, cost about five million bucks. Was paid for entirely, I believe, by one of Michigan's wealthier donors. So, now whether that money could go for something else is another question. Right. Uh, I would say also, though, I'll defend that partly insofar as this is uh, Michigan's way of saying you're right. These players are not compensated. What can we do for you within the rules? Uh, you know, not get busted by, by paying you and so on. We'll give you a trip to Italy, which, as you point out, a lot of these guys are from. Uh, poor communities and whatnot, so that might be their first trip overseas. Probably the only chance, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you meet the Pope, and you actually get some education in the process. So that is far more defensible than most of what college <laughs> sports does. <laughs> um, so as far as the uh, the coaches' compensation, um, I believe it was 1981 when Bo stayed and did not go to Texas A&M when he got a pay raise from 64000 to about 100000 I believe. That's mm-hmm. the first time... But the football coach at Michigan in basically 100 years, almost exactly 100 years, was making more than his boss, the athletic director. And that seems <laughs> small <laughs> potatoes now, of course, because now the football coach makes three, four, five times more sure. than the president of the university. What's even more you know, amazing to me is now you've got offensive coordinators making more than the head coach, even position coaches. I'm sorry, offensive coordinators making more than the president, the president. of the university, even sure. position coaches, the you know, wide receivers coaches at many schools, other places, he's making more than the president. And, you know, at this point, the horse is out of the barn, and one of the reasons for it is, as you point out, the arms race, the school pride that drives these things, the desire for alums, for donors and so on, to have their team number one. There's no, there's no limit to it, so there's no limit to what they're willing to pay to support this enterprise to make sure their team is top ten and so on. And there's also no downward force, unlike a, a company that has stockholders that if you keep on throwing away money in stupid places, the stockholders get mad, although CEO pay has not been bridled by that, it seems. Um, there's no downward force. These are nonprofits. <clears throat> and I recall Dave Brandon, a couple of ADs ago at Michigan, saying on 60 Minutes that the business model is broken. Yeah, you knucklehead, because it's not supposed to be a business. Right. Uh, if it's a business model, guess what? You have to pay the employees, the players. You have to pay the band, you know, 300, 400-member you know, Michigan marching band. You have to pay them to play before, during, and after the games. You're not paying any of these people, and you're not paying taxes either. So you're not a business. So if you're trying to look at it that way, the business model has no – you don't pay taxes. You don't pay the employees, per se. 
You don't play the, the product, basically. Uh, so there's no real downward force limiting these salaries other than public opinion, essentially, yeah. uh, which yeah. obviously is not proven to be enough. Right. So that's an issue there, I think, as well. Okay. John Bacon, sports writer and author, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Uh, Stephen, always a pleasure, pal, anytime. Yeah. And as usual, smart listeners, keep them. Yeah, we love them. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we're going to talk to documentarian Stanley Nelson about cult leader Jim Jones and the tragedy of Jonestown. And also, don't forget, if you miss any of today's conversation, you can always go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. Download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Take us with you. Listen when you are ready. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. <laughs>